When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 23 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And now this is this is the this is the deal. We are we are at the last plague. And just briefly, we're gonna we're gonna review one more time what the plagues were. The first plague is a skin knee, so that's blood in the Nile and all of the lakes of Egypt. And then on top of your skin's knee is a little frog. It was the plague of frogs. And then the frog has two eyes. The left eye is a gnat and the right eye is a fly. So you have gnats and flies. And then you have this ring around you of all the livestock, five golden rings. That's the fifth plague is the, is the, the uh, illnesses to all the, to all the livestock. And then in front of you is a boiling cauldron of water. It's boiling. And so that's boils. That's the sixth plague. And then trying to put out that water is the, uh, the hail that's coming in from the sky. And that's the, that'd, be the, that'd be the seventh plague. And then the eighth plague is all of a sudden you have these locusts that come on top of you for, on the livestock, on you and everything, just locusts covering everything. And that's the eighth plague. The ninth plague is darkness. It just goes dark. And we talked about how how bad that plague would be, complete darkness for three days, just just terrible, terrible plague, but not as bad as the last plague. And we've been talking about this last plague, which Moses has gone to Pharaoh and told him that if he does not let the people go, he's going to kill the firstborn son. God hardens Pharaoh's heart and doesn't believe him. And now God is going to show his mighty power and his mighty wrath to the whole Egyptians, but mostly to Pharaoh. And we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 12, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood of the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of that door of your house until morning. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you down. At midnight, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Now, my friends, this is... um, A couple things here. First of all, why blood on the doorstep? I mean, can't God know who his people are and can't he just selectively kill the firstborn of the people that are not of the children of Abraham? These people are circumcised. He knows which houses have all the, all the Hebrews. He certainly could have avoided it. It wasn't for God. It was for the Hebrews. It was for the Israelites so that they would know that they're children of God, that their action 
by putting the blood on the doorposts and the top of the, of the houses would protect them. And without that knowledge of protection, as soon as they started to hear about all the different deaths that happened in, in Egypt, they would freak out. They would, they would run out of the household. They, they wouldn't want the, the angel of death to come into their household. But God sealed them into their houses and put this, this seal or this, I guess, this mark or this seal or something on the, on the house so that it would protect them from the angel of death. And that would be very, very, very comforting to the Israelites to know that all they have to do is take this Passover lamb and wipe it on the doorpost and they're not going to have the angel of death coming over them. It was for them. It wasn't for the Egyptians. Of course, it wasn't for the Egyptians. They didn't even know about it. But that God um, would allow them to have that protection and that, that feeling of protection to let them know, you are my children. You are my chosen. I'm not going to take your firstborn. Very, very comforting. The second thing is, is just the idea that God would send this plague of the angel of death to all the households of Egypt and kill the firstborns in the households, the firstborn of the cattle and the flocks and all that. My friends, this doesn't make God look very well. And if you look at the whole story of the Exodus up to this point, God is the one that hardens Pharaoh's heart. And God is the one that sends this angel of death to all the homes to kill the firstborn. And you have to think to yourself, God, couldn't there have been a different way? Couldn't there have been something else you could have done that wouldn't have brought so much pain and so much suffering and so much tragedy to the Egyptians? And, and God, you're the one that's behind this whole thing because you're the one that hardened, hardened Pharaoh's heart. And from that viewpoint, it does not make God look good at all. And there is no answer for that. There truly is no answer for that. God, the only thing that we have from the Exodus story is that God does this and creates his mighty power to show the world, not just the Israelites and not just the Egyptians, but even us today, the mighty, incredible power of God. And that there is nothing that you can do against the mighty, powerful works of God. He is all-powerful, and he is sovereign, and he does what he's going to do. And he orders the affairs of his universe the way that he orders the affairs. And sometimes he does things that to us look absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. And we don't understand it. Sometimes, even in our lives, there are things that God allows or maybe even God orchestrates that we don't understand and we get angry and we get bitter and we don't understand it. But my friends, that's the way God operates. You have no power over him. He does what he's going to do. Now, I could make an excuse for God. I could kind of put a mask over this and I'd say, well... These firstborn that God created, maybe, maybe he brought them all to himself and he did something special with them so that they were with him forever and enjoyed a full life with him that started at the moment of their death with God forever. But it doesn't take away the pain and the grief of the people of Egypt that lost their firstborn in the animals and the livestock and the humans. 
just doesn't make God look good. And one day we can ask God, why did you have to do that? And God will reveal his whole entire plan and he will help us see clearly the whole entire history of humanity and why God did the things he did. And I think when he does that, I'm sure of when he does that, you will see a glorious plan. You will see something. You will get a glimpse of what was going on in God's mind for all the tragedy of the world that he allowed to happen or the orchestrated to happen. Right, as Paul says, right now we see through a glass dimly. But when we see God at the end of time, we will see him face to face and we will understand all the pain and the suffering of this world. And we will understand why he had to send his son and why he gave up his own son and why he allowed that tragedy to happen to rescue us. And at some level, this Passover is a foretaste of that event that happens in the future, the death of God's own son. And if you look, uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but just, just the, the parallels that happen about the son and the, and the firstborn son of God that dies. And it's the, it's the sons of Egypt and the, and the firstborn males of all the flocks. There's a hyssop plant here to wipe the blood on the doorpost. And there was a hyssop plant that gave Jesus the vinegar as he was dying on the cross. There was darkness. There was darkness. There was wailing. There was wailing. There's, there, there are so many similarities to this whole entire story. And then Jesus, on the night before he dies, it's a Passover meal. And he wants everybody to remember that his death is the culmination of the Passover that happened when he brought the Hebrews, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. And it's a continual story that, that focuses and finally finds its fulfillment in the death and the resurrection, the incarnation of Jesus, that at some level brings some amount of sense to this world. Because when God created us, and then when we started to get free will, when we broke from God and, and wanted to be like him, so God gave us free will because we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And he said, okay, because you've done that, you cannot live in my garden forever. You have to go fend for yourself. You get free will. You wanted free will, go get it. It's all up to you. And that, that knowledge of good and evil and that free will kind of precipitated all of this. And because mankind sinned and because we are broken people, we will, we will create pain and suffering among ourselves. And the only answer to that pain and suffering is the pain and suffering of Jesus. That is the only answer. You look at all the pain and suffering that's happening in the world today, and governments and scientists are all trying to find an answer to that, to say, we're going to eliminate pain and suffering. We're going to make sure through science and technology and all the things that we can do that we're going to eliminate pain and suffering in this world. You can't eliminate pain and suffering in this world. Even the scientists that say, okay, we'll, we'll extend life. You know, maybe from 100 years, we'll go to 150 years. Or maybe we'll figure out how to extend it like we did 900 years in the Old Testament, right? Methuselah. Um, but even if you can extend life, you're not going to get rid of death. And even if you do, if there's some way that you could create a way to create people's imaginations to go forever, nobody's going to nobody's going to live past the collapse of the universe. It's just not going to happen. And so uh, there's always going to be pain and suffering and death. The only answer, the only answer to it is Jesus. 
and the fact that he took all the pain and suffering upon him when he died and rose again and, and redeemed all of mankind. All the bad things that happen in our life, all the pain and suffering we cause of other people, God wipes that all away because of Jesus. It all goes on Jesus. And the more, the older I get, the more I realize what a beautiful theology that is. Because without that theology, without Jesus wiping away the sins of all mankind, then mankind fights each other to force this kind of reconciliation between mankind and other mankind to have retribution for all the evil that's done. And we see this so much in the world around us. Um, somebody will do something to somebody else and it'll get escalated, escalate until finally the one uh, who's escalating has you know, finally crushed the other person. And now they can sit there and say, I won in this thing. But did they really win? Or did they just create more pain and suffering in the world? What a beautiful thing that we can take all the pain and suffering and say, listen, I want justice, but Jesus was enough justice for me. And so I will forgive. I will live my life knowing that God forgives me and I'm going to forgive other people. And it is only that. It is only that. Uh, Paul said, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. The only way that we ever overcome evil is with good. It's with grace. It's with love. It's for forgiveness. And man, if we could all live that way in our world, think of how incredible this world would be if we would just forgive each other, uh, if we would if help each other out, if we would give more of ourselves than we're taking, if we, if we would love our neighbor, if we would help our neighbor, if we would do all the things that Jesus said, if the whole entire world would just live their lives the way that Jesus said. Imagine what that, and I mean, really, truly live their lives the way that Jesus said. Not just say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but actually live that way. Um, imagine what would happen to this world. It would, it would be incredible. So, um, and it all goes back to this Passover, where God does something that looks like it's just horrible to kill all the firstborns. And Pharaoh and his officials and all of them got up at the middle of the night and there's wailing, and there's gnashing of teeth, and it is just a horrible tragedy orchestrated by the creator of the universe. So let's just, just finish this out. Verse Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoners 
who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and the Egyptians got up during the night. There was loud wailing in Egypt. Uh, there was not a house without someone dead. And then verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said to them, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go. And also bless me. It's interesting. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before their yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold for their clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, and there were about 600,000 men on foot, beside women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all of the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. So from the time of Joseph coming in to be in Pharaoh's court and interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and becoming Pharaoh's right-hand person and getting them through seven years of feast and then seven years of famine and then 430 years to where Joseph's family went from being prized people in the land of Egypt to becoming slaves in the Egyptian, Egyptian, uh, to the Egyptians. 430 years, 430 years to the day when God finally came and rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, which God promised and then he did. Now, 430 years is a long time when you think about it. How many generations is that? If, if you assume about 20 years per generation, um, that would be about uh, 100 to 150 generations or 200 generations or something like that. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of generations of people. But that's what happened. And um, God finally rescued them. So um, what's, the, what's the lesson here? I mean, there's lots of lessons. I mean, the, the big lesson is that God loves his people. God cares for his people. And this exodus, this, this God rescuing from slavery in Egypt is a foretaste of the God rescuing us from slavery to sin that he did when Jesus came. There's so many parallels there. Um, because God loves his people. God loves you. God loves me. When you're in the kingdom of God, God cares for you greatly. Now, the thing is, is that um, God loves everyone. God loves, God lets the rain shine on the good and the bad. God lets this, the food happen for the people that are in his kingdom, the people that are out of his kingdom. God created the beauty of creation for everybody. But those of us who are in the kingdom of God, at some level, have this blood 
of the Lamb over us that protects us and helps us stay in the kingdom. And for that, we're very, very grateful. So I guess we'll leave it there um, for this morning. And let's go ahead and pray. Gracious God, um, it's, uh, it's kind of scary to see what you did to the Egyptians to help them see your majesty and your power. And at some level, God, we don't understand it. But we know that you are a loving God, you're a gracious God, and you created all of this for our beauty and for our enjoyment, and you keep us safe. So, Lord, we lift um, up to you today just thanks that we can be in your kingdom and that you protect us and love us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.